Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. And this week, we're going to go back to 2006. We're going to go back to the era of just before the explosion of social media, what some people might call the, the increasing democratization of fashion, which this movie maybe in some ways foresaw. There's a lot to consider here. Without further ado, folks, we're talking Devil Wears Prada. If you've seen this movie, you already know. If you haven't seen it, I would urge you to go see it. If you think it doesn't have much to offer you because it's about uh, a high fashion magazine and the, what, what may be a frivolous uh, workplace, I would say check it out regardless. One of the interesting things in reading up about this movie that I read Meryl Streep say about her character Miranda Priestly, the titular devil uh, that wears Prada and that runs Runway Magazine, uh, said was that there was a surprising amount of men that came up to her and said, thank you for making a movie about the isolation of running something and having the responsibility, the responsibility ultimately fall on you. It's a, it's a depiction I haven't seen and I felt seen. Uh, and Meryl herself, I think was a little surprised by that. So it, it's got a lot to offer. We, as always, are applying a rule of reason, spoiler rule. Uh, for example, we're going to be, I don't want to make any, well, no, I think I can, yeah, I think I can say we're going to watch Dune next episode, and then we're going to watch the Batman movie that's coming out. For those movies they are new, we'll be more cautious. This movie's pretty old, so if you do care about that thing, now's your kind of chance. Um... We're not going to give away the details, the, the fun and games of the plot, but we are going to acknowledge that it is a sort of a, a, a journey tale through a workplace where Anne Hathaway's character, of course, playing Miranda's assistant, learns about herself, learns uh, about her values and decides what they are, which will involve revealing some of the basic story beats that you can expect in that sort of character development bigger tale. So again, it's a great movie. It's uh, one that is, exists in the culture and cultural environment to the point that you probably know a lot of the quotes that we're going to play and talk about here. Without further ado, let's go ahead and play. If you know, if you've seen the movie, you probably are thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. This is so good. You can just search on YouTube. It's tough to find some quotes for this movie because if you search like devil wears product quotes or something like that, uh, you'll just get like a thousand videos that are variations of 15 times Miranda Priestly was savage AF or something like that, which are great. God bless the people that make them. But I like the discrete quotes, and this is one that just comes to the top of the pile, even in, in, in a sense. I love to look at what autocomplete is doing. I never know. It's a kind of a good uh, illustration of the self-no-self -self boundary that some of these stories explore. But uh, I never know how much autocomplete is my algorithm versus Google 
telling me about the world, but I don't know how much my algorithm would have to say about Devil Wears Prada autocompletes. So I think that this is more the world. It'll hit you with the speech right away. The cerulean speech, the blue sweater speech, uh, to set the stage, Anne Hathaway, Andy, has been parachuted into this elite workforce by human resources. She's a, a, a wannabe journalist. She has a good degree, a journalism degree, but nobody's taken her very seriously yet. And so rather than pursue a reporter job for the moment, she's, she's made a deal with the devil. One of the screenwriters to this movie described it as a Faustian tale where, a, you know, it's a classic tale where a frustrated scientist or a, a knowledge seeker gets offered a deal with a, a, the devil or a, a devilish figure to trade their immortal soul for worldly knowledge or success. And maybe or maybe they do or do not get a, a chance to redeem themselves nonetheless, but it will involve walking away from some of the things they thought they wanted because they've learned sometimes at a great cost uh, and great disruption to their lives, what things actually are meaningful to them. So it's a tale as old as time, and that's why I gave the spoiler alert. We can't not acknowledge that. Um, but the way that Anne Hathaway comes into this world, I think is a good example of the, the dark side of the, the definition of ambition, that this isn't my definition. Uh, I'm reading a book, a Place of Greater Safety by Hilary Mantel. It's a novel about the French Revolution. And so it quotes various writers from that age. I'm not even going to attempt to remember who said it, never, because I wouldn't pronounce it right anyway. But the, basically, there's this theme of defining ambition, uh, the theory of ambition, so to speak, as a desire to remake the world uh, after wallowing, not wallowing in the bad sense, but being in the depths of despair and realizing that you must make the world different in order to, you just feel driven because something's not right and you've got to get out there and make a difference, which is all well and good. If you're listening to this podcast, I think you should pay attention to that force. I certainly feel it. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge your drives, including your drive to make a difference in the world. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes that ambition to change something about the world is a reaction to the fear of realizing, glimpsing how little you know. And this speech is so iconic because it doesn't just say, you don't know this knowledge that we know. That's, that's cool. Learning about any subculture, oh, I didn't realize, you know, as a, an attorney, I'm often learning about various industries and I promise you, they're always fascinating. That's why I really do think people who have a vision and start a business, who see a market that, don't, that does not exist yet uh, or that feel something within themselves that they just know will be worth putting out there um, and, and take that leap of faith. I really do think they're the engine of everything that makes entrepreneurship great. Um, but again, that's a responsibility. So the, my takeaway before we play this clip is it's important not to mistake the appearance of knowledge for the substance of wisdom. 
don't mistake the appearance of knowledge for the substance of wisdom. It doesn't mean that they can't coexist, but in many ways, wisdom is the values-based, you know, correct or improved attempt at applying values or applying knowledge based on your values. Uh, in other words, very few people are just after money. A lot of people are working out their own issues and that's good and bad. And so I think in contrast to ambition, I like to think of aspiration, which look, I'm not, again, I I'm an ambitious person myself, but there is a connotation of it, of this person wants to change the world, including the people in it. And that's the dark side of ambition to me, because in that case, what you're almost always getting at, in my opinion, if you sit with that feeling long enough and sit through the discomfort long enough and sit through the surface emotions, the swirling anger maybe that you feel almost irrationally or definitely irrationally when you think of or encounter certain people um, or people that upset, have upset you or upset your vision of yourself, that's often a projection. And that gets to the responsibility if you find yourself to be an ambitious person or a person with aspirations. The the I think it, aspiration is a, a less loaded word that can carry the, the better angels of ambition uh, to perhaps a more pro-social application of it. So again, don't mistake the appearance of knowledge for the substance of wisdom, but it doesn't mean they can't coexist and it's important to be humble. So Anne Hathaway's character is a good example of almost the dark side of ambition already because since she doesn't know about fashion, she's kind of scoffing already at how seriously everybody's taking this. And by definition, she's scoffing at the people who are dedicating their lives to this enterprise, which is really a very arrogant position. Um, it, it, it's offensive. And she, in my opinion, now maybe I've just internalized the era when brutal honesty was a good thing. I think Brene Brown is right. No more saying brutal honesty. Honesty is tough enough. Uh, be nice. It's even okay to be gentle if you're telling a particularly, uh, not even a harsh truth, but a truth that could be framed in a harsh way. I think that's one of the great takeaways from this movie as well, and we'll get to that. But anyway... Uh, I want to set the stage because this quote is long enough. So we had to get creative with how we edited it down. The movie as a whole, of course, is worth watching. But here's what Merrill tells uh, Anne Hathaway in response to what is, in my opinion, Anne Hathaway's improper uh, application of the humility skepticism balance that we must all apply when entering a subculture. All right, let's go. Where are the belts for this dress? Why is no one ready? Here. It's a tough call. They're so different. Mmm. <laughs> Something funny? No. No, 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 nothing's, you know, it's just that both those belts look exactly the same to me, you know, I'm still learning about this stuff and uh <laughs> this stuff oh okay i see you think this has nothing to do with you you go to your closet and you select i don't know that 
lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back, but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns, and then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then Cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. All right. So, you know, again, this is a very impressive speech. It's an advertisement for the movie. It's entered the culture. It's at the top of the YouTube results for Devil Wears Prada quotes for a reason. Uh, you'll never hear or see a blue sweater the same. By the way, the blue sweater is okay. I mean, I wouldn't pay $10,000 for it. I don't know if I'd put it on the cover of Vogue. But that's one of the things about this movie is it's so jarring to, to realize how little you know. You can take on the more skewed and polarized aspects of this new subculture. Every workplace is a subculture. And so that means they have values, whether they've articulated them or not. And even if they have articulated them, they're probably doing something a little different. So it's interesting to look at the polarized characters and what they say, what lines get repeated. But one of the things that Miranda, it really gets at is Miranda at the top. She's got such a vision about fashion and it, there's a balance about how much is she controlling fashion versus how much is she just gifted at sensing shifting moments in fashion. It's really, it's, it's, it's cool. Uh, in my opinion, but she's also wrong about a lot of stuff. And they, they get it that not just with the blue sweater, not being, look, it's not the best, but it's, it's not go home and change your clothes. It's not, you know, when you're at school, Hey, hit the lost and found, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Uh, it's fine. Um, but it's jarring to be like, I have less free will than I thought because of how little I know these people are so powerful. I must pedestalize them. And that is the, the journey that Andy needs to learn how much, you know, she has always had within her. And that's a good reminder for all of us. Don't mistake the appearance of superior knowledge, uh, for the substance of wisdom. You know, you can always, kind of rebalance yourself on your humility, skepticism axis for sure. But don't forget that internal sense of right and wrong. And when you find yourself, maybe you don't even know it, but having made a deal with the devil, look to those opportunities where your paths can diverge and look within and ask yourself, should I take this step? Even if it's scary, it's a powerful moment. This movie does a good job of depicting it. Uh, one of the reasons it's worth exploring. So let's talk about our next clip. This is a great opportunity. I think I'm a little bit of an on a wind tour myself, uh, if I do say so, with respect to sensing winds of change. It's one of the reasons I really enjoyed, as I mentioned on the first episode of this podcast and talking with, with Jarek, a uh, great conversation. Um, I've taken some time off 
my basically what was until that point mono focus on the practice of corporate labor and employment law but i can't i'm, I'm like jay-z I, I can't leave rap alone the game does need me and i've paid attention to it how can i not with everything that's going on in the world of uh labor and employment the the wave of strikes and now different franchises across the country unionizing i'm i'm itching to just i mean that's a whole podcast I can't do it. I can't do it right now. But my point is, here's a wind of change that I've sensed. And by sensed, all I mean is I've read other people saying this and thought to myself, eh, yeah, I agree. But like, uh, like the New York Times style section, this is a, you'll never un unsee this again. Uh, they just know, it's like three things each reporter noticed. And then that's a trend because they happen to write for the New York Times style section. So here's a trend because I happen to podcast on Success Movie Rewind, which is we got to be skeptical of saying, I love my job. So that's my number two takeaway. Jobs can't love you back. And we had a long speech before, but we've got a short one this time. It's Emily Blunt's character, conveniently named Emily, Thank goodness. I mean, the Anne, Andy is killing me. Meryl, Miranda. Wow, don't they realize, but where people were going to podcast about this. But Emily, which we can, we can just call her Emily. She has to remind herself of this. Let's hear it. Because it's, it's all about the tone. That's what I love about podcasting, too, is it's words, but it's the tonality. It's the intonation. It's the pauses. And so when you find yourself saying, I love my job like this, let's talk about our takeaway number two. Jobs can't love you back, folks. That's the takeaway from this. Let's hear the kind of I love my job that should send chills down all of our spines. We've all been Emily at this moment. All right, let's go. I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. All right, so as I was saying, the, the trend that I've spotted is people are explicitly saying we shouldn't be saying this maybe even, or we should worry when jobs point to the love that everybody has for the job. Certainly if jobs say we're all family in response to complaints in particular, I think it's right to raise an eyebrow. And I tell my clients that and sometimes it's not great to hear because they really do love their jobs. One of the people I think who is the best about this is as always the king himself, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. I love when people write to him about problems they're having with their personnel, business owners. And they're like, why don't they get it? Why don't they see the vision? Why don't they love the job as much as I do? Why don't they want this company to succeed? And it's like, dude, they don't own the company. They didn't start it. They work for you. It's a job. They care about the thing they think about on the way to work. I mean, maybe the two coincide. And that's why I don't want to go that far. I don't want to say you can't love your job. You can. Uh, I love, I've loved jobs before. I, I, as a lawyer, get to go kind of more from project to project sometimes. And there are projects I think back of very fondly where really what I'm thinking back on is they provided the opportunity to be competent and to have enough autonomy that I was able to work in a way that got me into a flow state. Uh, I really felt meaningful uh, just to to be in that state. It's, it's a heightened experience. It's awesome. I loved it, but that didn't mean the job loved me back. And really what, if you really, I think, dig 
down into those experiences, the reason you have the incentive to get into those flow states, the reason your being pushes you into them is because what you're doing is meaningful to other people. And so really that's, that's my broader point. Jobs can't love you back, but the people around them can approximate. I think there are the part of the problem we have here is there's only one word for love that we're all throwing around versus like the Greeks having like six words for it. So there's like a kind of job love where you can find yourself very happy that your vocation coincides with your income. And I don't want to take that away from people. Uh, I feel a vocation to podcasting myself, obviously. Um, but it's really all about the people as a podcaster. Of course, it's about the listener and the audience. Otherwise I'm just the guy rambling in my garage. Um, as a business owner, it's a, it's about the business to you. And so my recommendation there is if you find yourself loving your job or if you own your business and of course view your, your endeavor as a labor of love that you also need to make money from, um, so that you can get the, your vocation to coincide with your income because you can't really see a way of existing otherwise. Remember to, to aspire to the better parts of yourself that you can identify with to make that happen versus the, the dark side of ambition and trying to remake other people. Because the, what it does to people is it really makes them apply the concept of love in the way that the current conversation, that's the trend I'm talking about. The current conversation is very skeptical. If you say, look, you got to love your job. This is why we do it. In the nonprofit world, it's huge. People being asked to deal with things or to deal with below market salaries or, you know, everybody's got to make cuts, but a lot of times it's, it's people lean on love too hard and that's wrong because love is all we have. Sure. And I do think jobs can give you things that you love. Uh, but it's really always all about the people. Um, the job can't love you back. It's about the people in your life. And you've just got to keep that in mind when you find yourself saying, I love my job, I love my job, I love my job. What Emily Blunt's character is really doing to herself is telling herself what you feel is not true. Remember, you've already accepted as a prior the fact that a million girls would kill to be this job or to do this job. Actually, to be this job, though, you have to kind of erase yourself and remake yourself into the vision of somebody who gives everything to the job. Well, if, you're, if your only reason for doing that is the fact that you have to basically pound your head against your computer screen and say that you love your job, you need to be skeptical of that. Uh, I, again, I don't want to discourage, there are people who love their jobs and I encourage you to, to think about them, but not like that. And if you find yourself kind of encouraging people to pull an Emily Blunt, so to speak, you've got to do your, that's because you're in a position of responsibility. First of all, they're looking to you for guidance. If you can only lean on love, you've got to at some point realize that you can only do so lovingly. And that uh, starts and ends with telling the truth. And that means if you feel that this person, if you're telling them, look, we love our job, we love our job. And so you have to accept conduct or a way of living or a treatment that is the opposite of love. That's wrong. And so that we should all note the skepticism and we, sh we should, I think, join it. I welcome it. Let's raise an eyebrow when people are leaning on love too hard uh, and let's remember takeaway two, 
from Devil Wears Prada, Jobs Cannot Love You Back. Folks, let's take a break real quick. When we come back, we'll talk about clip three and takeaway three about responsibly prioritizing your relationships. All right, folks. Again, this movie has so many iconic quotes. I wish I could just clip the whole movie and go scene by scene. But if you're talking about this movie, this is another one. Let me tell you, as someone who spent a lot of time on Facebook uh, around 2006, 2007, you saw this one popping up on people's quotes, uh, you know, their favorite quotes on Facebook, uh, especially in the law school days, as you saw people starting the, their journey into the world, the post devil wears product corporate world of what would eventually become, you know, this, this is the first generation. I think the people after devil wears Prada became the girl bosses of the 2010s. Um, and if you want, you can't really understand that. I think without watching this movie, it's not like I'm a scholar of this movie, but I have watched it a couple of times this week and spent a lot of time reading about it and what it's meant to people. And so again, this is one of those quotes where I almost was like, Oh, that's this movie. Like I, you just hear people saying it, or of course it's Vince from entourage saying it, um, which is the perfect 2006 boyfriend for Anne Hathaway to have. There's a whole like movement around 2015, speaking of the 2010s, when uh, that whoever was doing the reevaluating looked back at, at Nate, Vince, Adrian Grenier's character, and they were like, he's the worst boyfriend, he sucks. To the point that Adrian Grenier had to make a statement, and he was like, yeah, I see their point. You know, I had, at first I was upset, but I had to look within. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's, you know, he, I don't think Nate was that bad. It is, this isn't a romantic comedy. It's a Faustian uh, tale about becoming competent and learning who you are. It's unbelievable, but it's not about that. He's more of a Greek chorus just saying, is this what you want? And so that's why this clip is uh, just so iconic. It's, it's just such a go-to. It's such a good reminder. Let's hear it. The person whose calls you always take, that's the relationship you're in. All right. So again, I think as, as with the don't love your job conversation, there's always room for nuance. And so, of course, it's funny to look back at saying the person whose calls you always take. And I immediately thought, if you're taking anyone's calls, I mean, 95 of the hundred calls, you know, like 95% of the calls that I get to my phone are spam at this point. I really don't even like to look at calls as they come in unless I'm at work, you know, expecting a call, but those are almost always scheduled these days. I think the, the act of making a call is so different in 2022 than it was in 2006, but the point is still the same or the tone of what he's saying is still the same. And that's why my takeaway from this quote is that you've got to responsibly prioritize your relationships. If whoever you're taking calls from, it, it's nice to think there's no hierarchy, but unless you're putting everybody in a Zoom, you can't take everybody's calls one at a time. If two people are trying to talk to you or two people want you to be in two places at once, you're going to have to make a decision. So I do think Nate could have been a better boyfriend, but one of the things that Anne Hathaway has to come to terms with is... It, she's not, it's, it, you know, spoiler alert. They've got to update what their relationship means to each other. And that's a painful conversation for her as well. And he helps her realize you always answer your boss's calls, not mine. 
and that may that makes me feel bad and that hurts him and that's important when you're especially if you're in a time of change like that now of course if you've sold your soul to the make a faustian bargain and you've confused knowledge for wisdom of course yeah, movies like this can help you get back on the path but whenever you hear something like this it usually is time to reframe and first of all ask yourself what point do they have where are things changing and how might that make them feel what are they telling me about how that makes them feel what repairs do i have to do and what scrutiny do i have to apply to myself where are my values shifting in their application and what does that mean for me and what I need to do? It, it may be a, just a hard conversation with yourself. It may be a hard conversation with other people, but that is your responsibility. You are the one who is prioritizing your relationships. And so when you find yourself in usually a subordinate role, but it can be a, you know, a client role or a contractor role, any role where you find yourself having to answer the phone at all hours of the night, or sometimes you even sense that people are testing whether you are that kind of person. I say when you sense that, run away as fast as you can. And if you find yourself doing that to people to test the lengths of their loyalty or something like that, I've heard people say that. Stop doing that. And look within. Um, responsibly prioritize your relationships. But if you are in a position of power, you have to help your subordinates do the same. And so I love the trend of, of bosses acknowledging as Gary V encourages us to do that. These are real people who are working a job. Not everyone founded the company. Not everyone can love their job. And so as a boss or as an entrepreneur, anybody who works for you or with you, you can help them. You can demonstrate your values. And I've had bosses, you know, when I was starting out, I started out as a lawyer in the depths of the worst recession of anyone's living memory. People were, when you're in law school, your whole life rides upon the job offer you get when you work one summer. Uh, it's a three-year degree, but you work basically one summer after I think your second year and you do or do not get a job offer. And if you do, you're kind of set at least for the first few years of your career. It's like, no, <laughs> I don't want to say I worked for any Miranda Priestley's, but it's kind of like the, the promise is that it'll stamp your resume. If you work for a, a big enough firm that you have a certain level of competence and expertise. And that is true. And it requires a serious sacrifice of your time because they pay a lot of money, but they require a lot from you. Uh, you do have to always take those calls. And so part of your responsibility is balancing your family life. And one thing I loved about my firm was they were constantly talking about work-life balance. Uh, women had their own groups, uh, but they also included everybody in these discussions often because it's a community issue and you have to realize that like all communities, you're actually a series of interlocking communities and people's families are their unit and you have to help them prioritize and balance. But part of that includes finding support in your life. And I'd liked that realism of about saying part of this may be asking somebody to support you in a certain way. Uh, nobody had children in this movie, but in real life, a lot of people do. Sometimes that means the spouse takes a support role in a certain way. That's a change. You know, I mean, these are just conversations that you have to have, but you got to get out of reactive mode where you're, you haven't even thought about it and you just automatically answer uh, your job's calls, so to speak. 
the person whose calls you always take. Now, I don't like the that's the relationship you're in framing because, again, I think these are interlocking relationships. But if you are in an either-or situation, which I think is what Nate is getting at, that's a moment to have your values revealed to you. And so if you don't like what it reveals, for example, if you don't like that the way you've gone about it means that your boyfriend has his feelings hurt very much. Um, and you know, it may sound like I'm just sympathetic to the boyfriend here, which I often am watching these kinds of, or, you know, watching movies, but, um, in many cases, I've been more of the Anne Hathaway, to be sure. You know, as I, as I watched this, I was reminded of this. And it's not about, look, sometimes you have to prioritize your job. Some days you have to prioritize your job. Sometimes you have to say, leave me alone. You know, I can't watch my, my child while I record this podcast. Uh, I had to prioritize it, and I think it's worth it. And so, again, it's, it's just a, a, a good reminder that you've, you're, the way you organize your life is so important. You've got to take that time to yourself. You've got to be thoughtful. You've got to ask yourself, what do I value? What's important in my life? What are my responsibilities? And how should I go about my day-to-day so that I can make sure that the way that I act and reflect in the world reflects those priorities? And I really do think you have to, if you're a leader, you can't expect everyone to love your job or their job or your company or their role in it as much as you do. So you have excess love. You've got to channel that to help float people. You can't ask people to lean on a definition of love that you are hollowing out. Uh, like we talked about with respect to Emily Blunt's character. So the movie's great. A lot of lessons, a lot of room for nuance. Let us know what you thought. Let us know where you agree, where you disagree. Come back next week. We're going to be talking about Dune. So excited. I feel like I've been saying this for weeks. Uh, fantastic movie. After that, we'll be talking the new Batman movie, folks. We'll, we'll be nice about spoilers on both of those because they are relatively recent. Batman for sure. And it'll be a great time. So I hope you enjoyed this week. I hope you come back next week. We'll have a lot to talk about as always. Thanks for stopping by. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.